Now the fun begins. Bridget. Stop! You violated the law! What is good, everyone, and welcome to the Game Pass Gamecast. I'm your host, Travis White, aka Travelus on most internet platforms. As always, I am joined by my two co-hosts, the one, the only, Mike P. Pack, Toy Soldier, and Adam Marshy Marsh. First, let's start with Mike. Mike, normally I'd ask you what you've been playing, but you probably haven't been playing too much because my boy over here sporting a tan, which means he went to the beach. Mike, let's, let's hear about this vacay you were on. Yeah, uh, we've spent about a week in uh, Top Sail Island. I guess it's pronounced Top Soul by the people around there, but in like Surf City, North How, Carolina. How's it, how's it spelled? T O P S A I L. So it's Top Sail. Yeah, it's Top okay, Sail. So but people around so there are like Top Soul. So, I mean, yeah. still listen to us and everything like that from Top Soul, wherever the fuck you are, but it's Top Sail. Anyways, right. continue. Yeah, so it was great. Spent a week at the beach, a little rest and uh, recuperation, you know how it goes. So played some golf while I was down there. That was fun. And uh, just kind of like you know, recuperating, getting ready to get back on the grind for Atlantic City. So, yeah, now kicking into that, I want to hear a little bit about what is your preparation now? Talked about Atlantic City uh, UGC event yeah. that you guys are going to, your uh, your comp team, Team Crux, you guys are for sure going. Talked a little bit about last week. What is your, what's your game plan for preparation heading into that tournament? You guys scrimming a lot? You guys doing team practices? Like what, for a lot of people who aren't in tune with esports or more sure. casual gamers, yeah, yeah. like what do you, what do you guys do to prep for an event like that a couple months in advance? It's a little different now that we're all older and we're, we all have like real lives. It's not like when we were younger and we could just put like eight hours in a day. True. Uh, we try to maximize the time that we do have together. So we set up team practices and we try to get a good, uh, like three or four hours in, uh, uh, pretty much like we try to do nightly three or four hours every night mm-hmm. and then uh basically from there we practice for three or four hours and then you know we kind of have film assignments on on the side so basically everyone's responsible for downloading game film and watching game film and seeing you know where our shortcomings are and what we need to work on as a team so a lot of film watching a lot of preparation in that way trying to just talk about game theory and what we want to try to accomplish as a team because in halo there's a lot of things that you can work on on a map, you know, how, what time are we setting up for custom uh, maps like construct? Uh, if you're off the top of the map, you can kind of set up around the bottom of the map, wait for the custom and try to get back up on top and get control again. So there's a lot of different uh, game theories going around there that you can kind of work on as a team and, and a lot of film watching goes into it. So basically just practicing as much as practicing as much as I can by myself and then going ahead and playing with the team. And then once we're done with the team, if there can be two or three of us on still at the same time, we just try to play as much as we can right now. Nice, nice. So then the event is, say it one more time, September? Uh, it's like the 6th, 7th, and 8th of September. Yeah. Okay. And the plan is for all of us to attend at least right now. Um, right now we're kind of in the process of figuring out everyone's schedules with work and whatnot. But I'm hoping, Adam is hoping that we'll both be able to go to that event as well and maybe cover it because we do have some listeners who definitely are very familiar with the Halo scene and are interested in that. So, But that's great. I'm going to now kick it over to our other co-host, the one, the only, Adam Marshy Marsh. Now, Adam, you did not go to the beach, so I fully expect to hear some nerd shit of what you've been playing, 
what you've been digging into. I know you've been making Mario Maker levels that have been fucking stumping me, even though P-Pack beat them in like two seconds, which means <laughs> I suck at video games, which is known. But I want to hear about what you've been playing, because I know it's got to be more than just Mario Maker. Yeah, while Mike was out there getting a suntan, I was getting an LCD tan. There you go. Um, so I've been stuck into some Mario Maker. I've been playing levels with my coworkers. We still play like Smash at lunch every day at work. Uh, and other than that, I've kind of been drifting between Fallout New. I've been kind of drifting between Fallout New Vegas and Fallout Four. Um, just playing like some new modded versions of those games that i've been into lately um back to the old well huh yeah i mean there there's more content for it every time i look like there was one huge player mod that was almost like dlc sized it's called new california i think it used to go by project brazil um it's like new world map all new characters a whole new campaign it's like it was like 10 to 20 hours of gameplay uh in a whole new setting in new california and it's kind of cool how they tie it in at the end of that um, depending on what ending you pick in Project Brazil, it sets up the main character to become the courier in regular New Vegas. And when you're done, you can just keep playing, you know, regular uh, New Vegas campaign. So that's been kind of fun. Also been playing some Fallout 4. I never really played any of the official DLC from that. So I'm working my way up to that right now. Nice, nice, nice. So a little bit of everything. Uh, I know you've always kind of stuck with the Fallout scene Dare I say more than Elder Scrolls, at least recently? Yeah, um, for sure. Um, I I go back to the Fallout well more often, although I do love Oblivion and Morrowind. Not so much Skyrim, but, you know, to each their own. I mean, that's why. There's not a, lot, a whole lot of uh, material coming out for Morrowind and Oblivion. You're basically looking at, people are still making mods for Skyrim, but right. arguably our least favorite of all the games. I'll so. come back to Skyrim when Skywind is done. Yeah, exactly. If it's ever done. Very true, very true. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, a lot of different stuff that's been you know thrown around uh, in terms of what we're playing and whatnot. Uh, I've been kind of playing a hodgepodge of things, if you want to say. Uh, I've been trying to find something that scratches an itch that I don't know I have, if that makes any sense. I know I have an itch, and I don't know how to scratch it. So I played, since we last spoke in terms of this podcast, I played through Dead Space 1. Um, never played it before. Never. I played, I take that back. I played 20 minutes of it before, got stuck in like the third fucking room and was like, nah, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. Like it didn't, it didn't hook me. It didn't. And it's, it kind of goes back to the thing that I've talked about before on the show of how crazy perspective can be with gaming that there's games like Fallout 4, the first time. And I love Fallout. I love Bethesda games. I, even in their darkest times, I'm one of their biggest supporters because they craft these open worlds that I love to live in. But, it, like, Fallout 4. First time I picked it up, I played for, like, two hours and was like, okay, I'm good. I, I don't want any more. Yeah, some things you bounce off of once and then later you're like, why did I, why didn't I keep with this? Exactly. So I kind of, it was kind of like that. No, granted, Fallout 4. I did eventually come back to, recently actually, on Game Pass. And played through it, loved it, not as much as other Fallouts, but we will eventually get to that on an episode, like I think all of us can say in terms of original ones, for the most part. But, perspective. Yeah, it's it's crazy what perspective can do, because now going back to this, and granted, very late to the party, 11 years later with Dead Space, but picking up, playing through it, it's a nice, quick game, somewhat Metroidvania, in terms of the levels that, you know, there's certain things you can get and then go back to with certain 
powers and different things like that. It was pretty cool. I liked it. It was very atmospheric. I picked up the second. Haven't started it yet because I didn't know if I wanted yet another somewhat horror game again, even though I love them. So, but did it scratch your itch? No, it didn't. Um, so then I was like, I was looking at Game Pass and I'm like, man, you know, because I'm trying to play a lot of, I, I play basically all my third party games on Xbox with my Xbox One X because um, it's the best, you know, it's the most powerful console out there right now. So I might as well be playing my games in the best 4K, you know, resolution possible uh, with the best frame rates possible. So, but I started playing Monster Hunter World. Again, another perspective game. Picked it up on PS4 on a sale maybe like six months after it came out. Tried it for like 20 minutes. I'm like, I get it. Not necessarily my thing right now. Wasn't, but then seeing it on Game Pass, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give it another try. I just started a couple days ago. I only got maybe like six hours into it total over the past couple days. Um, but love it. It's scratching an itch. But it's not the one that I I just don't know. I've been thinking about trying a JRPG recently, and I don't know where to start. I was thinking Final Fantasy. I don't know, though. Like, I want something with deep story that, like, I could play over, like, three months and, like, have all that content there. And whatnot. But, yeah, so there's... but there's. I'll give you some recommendations after the show's it, over. Exactly. I know you got some good ones, so... Um, six hours the past week. I put six hours into Halo last night. I know, <laughs> I know. Hey, man, you know, it's... I put six hours last night into Halo, bro. I know, man. I need, I need to get back on the train. I've been kind of falling out, not from burnout, but just life. Like, fucking life, man. Being an adult gamer kind of sucks at times. It's one of... It's the thing of... When you're a kid, you're thinking, man, once I have money, I can buy all the games I want. And basically, that's kind of true. Like, you now have a much comparative to at least when you're a kid. You have a little bit deeper pockets. Granted, they are not deep at all. But comparative to the kid who's making, you know, at the end of the day, probably five bucks an hour after taxes, you know, maybe making $90 a paycheck or whatever when you're in high school. But, you know, you have the, you have the finances to support gaming you'd have nowhere near the time. Um, so it's trying to find time, you know, but now kind of we'll have a little time off. I can dive back into some games and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, that's what I've been playing. I've been kind of all over the place trying to find an itch or try to find the way to scratch that itch somehow. But all right. So we got some announcements today for game pass, new games coming to Woo-hoo! game pass. As always, this service keeps getting better and better folks. And I'm not just being a shill. This shit is just awesome. I'm a paying customer, and I'm very happy with it. Anyways, new games coming to Game Pass that were announced today, and thank God they were announced today before we were recording. That was not the same as last time, as Future Travis came in and plugged a little bit afterwards in post. Technology's awesome. I can go in and do that. Anyways, though, so announced today earlier, we got Night Call coming on the 17th of July to PC only. We got Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain coming on the 18th to console only. Banner Saga 3 coming on the 18th console and PC resident evil four coming on the 25th of July two console only. We got killer instinct DE their definitive edition. That's coming on the 25th of July to console and PC. And we also have for the King coming July 25th to PC guys. Their little teaser was kind of cool. Did you see the, um, did you see the like solid snake cardboard box teaser that they put out a couple days beforehand? I did. And I didn't pick up on it first, but now obviously looking back on it, I'm like, Oh, those bastards. That's good. Like, I didn't think about that. Did you see what they hid on the box? 
No, I didn't. There was a code, a redeemable code. I think it was like a free month of Game Pass. Of course there was. It always is that mm-hmm. way with Xbox. And I, I, us newbie asses are just like, oh, this is pretty cool, guys. Mm-hmm. We're coming out with two games. We keep a wider eye out. We got dum-dums like me. We're just like, oh, a cardboard box. I bet you there's games inside. <laughs> like, I'm just like, wow, that's cool. Obviously there's games in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a, I got a belly laugh out of P-Pack. Oh my goofy. Can we edit in the um, Metal Gear song, like, detected? Yeah. Sting. <laughs> and yeah. The, the sound noise that they did make, too, where it was like, where it's like, huh? And they go over and they're like, they kicked the fucking no, box. No, they just look at it, they're like, just a box. <laughs> <laughs> That's me, just... Just a box. <laughs> that's literally you. There's a box in the middle of a hallway that's like in a highly defended military base. There, this is not an actual person. Just a box. Just walk away. And like, they're just stuff. like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I don't think it is anything. <laughs> what are you still doing here? Well, I can't read. <laughs> Get out of here. All right. Anyways, getting back on track. <laughs> Open it up to you guys. Do you see anything you like? Personally, two things for me. Obviously, the two big hitters, Metal Gear Solid Five. I played parts of one recently. I know I mentioned that in a previous episode. Kind of fell off from that, but I do want to get into Five because that seems much more my game in terms of what I like. But the big thing for me is Resident Evil 4. I love the Evil Within. That's supposedly being from similar development team and having the roots from that game kind of put in from Resident Evil 4. I've never, and I'm a big Resident Evil fan as well, I've never played 4. So, I know, be easy with me in the comments, everything like that. Oh, I think you're going to have a treat. You can definitely see the DNA of Resident Evil 4 in Evil Within. Right, and that's why I'm really excited, because I really did like that. The Evil Within was one of those games that was never, it was never scary. It was atmospheric, but it was, it was over-the-top atmospheric that it's kind of like, it's kind of like the problems I have with Resident Evil, where they're great if not perfect games at times, three-fourths of the way through, but then they fall off and just go too campy. Where Evil Within is just, it's campy all the way through. It commits to the campiness. That way I can appreciate it. I'm like, okay, you know what you're trying to do. Not everybody necessarily liked the Evil Within, but I liked it because from the aspect of, okay, I know what you're trying to do and you're committing to it. You're not putting one toe in and one toe out and then changing halfway. No, it's it's one complete vision throughout the whole thing. So I'm excited to go back and play that. I'm also interested in seeing a couple things. I've heard, I've seen some stuff on Nightcall that actually looks pretty cool. I don't think I've heard anything about that one. Nightcall is, you play as a taxi driver. I saw it in, I believe it was kind of funny as Game Showcase. You play as a taxi driver or like an Uber driver or something like that. And you're solving a mystery while you're doing it. It's in this like, it's in a black and white and it's very noir-esque. And it's more of a text-based game, but it's like you're playing out scenes of a comic book almost. And you're interrogating people, or you're trying to get info from passengers who come by, and you're trying to solve this mystery the whole time through the eyes of an Uber or a taxi driver. So, okay, that sounds like my kind of game. Right, oh I'm yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. And, yeah, and it's on, I believe it is released on Steam already. I think, I know it was coming to Switch, I believe, as well. But I believe it came out on Steam previously. I believe Switch is the only console version. Don't hold me to that, but I know it's out on Steam already. So if you want to check that out, but that is coming the 17th. Uh, Killer Instinct, I may try out personally. Probably Resident Evil 4 is probably my big hitter out of this. What about you guys? I mean, I'm definitely going to check out 
Night Call, now that I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. I've already got Phantom Pain and Resident Evil 4. I've kind of played through those. So the, the heavy hitters are already on the bench for me. Maybe Banner Saga? I mean, it's the third entry, but like, I don't know. I've seen it everywhere. I really like the art style, but I've mm-hmm. never actually looked into it. So I might check that out. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, it's included for 10 bucks a month, so... What about you, Mike? Anything catching your eye here? Yeah, I think for people that haven't played games like Resident Evil and Metal Gear Solid, the value's really there. You're going to get a whole month of gameplay probably out of those two games. I think the average playthrough for Phantom Pain is like 40 hours. Yeah. Just the, like just the story. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're going to get your money's worth there. For me, I've played pretty much I like most of the games on there, except for Metal Gear Solid Five and Night Call. So, and For the King, I haven't played that game. But the other ones I've kind of just messed around with. Yeah, so Killer Instinct's kind of like... You're into fighting games. Yeah. It, that it, okay. game, that game, like, I'm into fighting games, but only because I'm like obsessed with Mortal Kombat, so I, I mainly stick to that. And that goes back from playing that on Sega as a kid, though. So, But yeah, I mean, great games. And, and again, I saw some Twitter replies, and I want to touch on that really quickly here. I saw some Twitter replies where people were like, this is the first month I can actually stop my subscription, because these are all games I've played. Well, great. Guess what? I haven't played the two big hitters. And right. I play a fuck ton of games, just like both of my co-hosts, and just like a lot of people. I haven't played these. So there are people out there. Go ahead, Mike. And why wouldn't you want to... Like, Resident Evil 4 is going to be, like, 6 gigabytes. And it's rated, critically, one of the best games of all time. Yeah, like, Resident Evil 4 is going to be, like, 7 gigabytes. Who cares? Like, play it again. Yeah. (laughs) Who cares? You can... (laughs) I know this is probably a shocker to a lot of people. There are games that, if you like them... This might come to a shock to you. You can actually play them again, especially yeah. if you own them. You could just. This is it's like hard to imagine, but you could <laughs> pop it back a disc back in, or if you own it digitally, you could pull it up off the store and download it again for free if you don't have it on there. You're actually, it's not just a one-time thing. You could actually play games again. I mean, f- fuck if I <laughs> the amount of times if I had to pay every time to play Ocarina of Time again. You'd be in the hole. I'd be, I'd be spare change. Yeah, <laughs> except for you had to restart every time on the water temple because you couldn't be. True, it. true. We don't Zinga. talk about that. We don't talk about First that. grade, I had to go over and beat the water temple for my mans. You shut your damn mouth. <laughs> so You're really digging in the dirt to toss that shade. Yeah, that was tough. But I just feel like a game like Resident Evil 4 so timeless just just play it again man like who cares and and this is a situation where like travis said you can go back and play a game again like i'm gonna go back and it's about time to play amnesia the dark descent again for the second time it's been a long time since we've played through that it's about time to do that machine for pigs yeah fuck that game that game sucked (laughs) i I can feel the last drops of sand coming down through the hourglass it's about time. it's about time to play that yeah so, I tried to play Outlast again recently because it was on Game Pass. Yeah, I played through that last summer. And, yeah. And I thought both held up good. But me and Adam played through it when it f- like first came out. Mm-hmm. The ending was interesting. I mm-hmm. wasn't like pissed about it, but like... It was like uh, it was like okay okay uh, okay dude yeah. but like it's that game like I tried to play it again and I'm just like eh, did you but, ever finish two? No, I never even played two. Oh, uh, re- I played. I streamed that. I watched you. I watched you stream it for most of it. Yeah, I played through both of it's those. Pretty on stream. Um, I think I w- I think I preferred two. I think they did a little bit better job with the. Uh, I mean, obviously the first one was done inside the insane asylum, mm-hmm. but I thought two was like the um, atmosphere and the setting was pretty cool for two. Oh my god! I mean, that's where. Normally, I'm a quality over quantity in a sense. I guess if you want to say, like, I'm more, I'm more concerned about the meat of the game sure. than the polish. Yeah. Um, I don't care what 
the shell of the egg looks like. I want to know what's inside. So that's what usually Nintendo games, why I kind of go towards them, because a lot of the times they aren't looking at graphically intensive games. It's the gameplay, it's things like that. But when it comes to Outlast, especially Outlast 2, that's where I actually do think, I'm like, they took what is actually technologically available to them in terms of graphics in terms of what they're able to do with shadow and lighting and all these things and they played it so well to the immersion and all of these things building this tense atmosphere more so than i think the first one was great in terms of how what they were able to do for doing in one setting sure not being able to go anywhere outside of that one setting really where Outlast 2 spread it out more, and it was much more of a psychological, like, demonic. It was much more of a supernatural, I and guess. And it, it, was, it was very re- religion-driven. Yes, and I think that games, horror games that utilize religion... Yes. They, like cults and They automatically like have, like, a leg up on other horror games, because it's belie- it's it makes it, like... Is even though it's it was sci-fi because of the supernatural stuff, mm-hmm. and I consider some supernatural stuff would be to be sci-fi. They use religion in a way to normalize it. No, 100%. so like it's believable. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the reasons why I love Resident Evil Seven so much because they touched on that cult aspect, sure. and things like that with the family. They made you believe that was the thing that was going on. <laughs> but yeah, that's new games coming to Game Pass. Moving in quickly before we go into our game of the week, Ninja Gaiden Black. I want to touch on the Halo Outpost Discovery. We put out a tweet earlier in the week just asking for some feedback. You know us. We are very big Halo fans. We have a big, deep-seated connection with this franchise. Obviously, you can listen to part one and two of our first episode touching on MCC, where we talk about a lot of our love to that franchise. But we asked for some feedback on the Halo Outpost Discovery, which is basically, in all intents and purposes, Halo Con. Um, It is the con version of Halo to most extent. But we had a really good tweet back from the Collector198 on Twitter. He went, he's a huge Halo fan, and he actually got us a lot of good B-roll, which I'll attach the full link to this in the video, and I'll also put a snippet of it in the YouTube version. I'll have, like I said, the full link to the video in the description of both the audio and the YouTube. But he said, as a huge Halo fan, I had a blast. Only two main things that I had a problem with was the waiting for lines and the phone app never working on me all the time. That's the big things that I did here. The stuff that was good in terms of the actual attractions, it was like if people liked it, they loved it. Sure. It was one way or another. It wasn't necessarily like, eh. I feel like if you were there, you love Halo, you're going to, for the most part, love it no matter what. But it seemed like a lot of the issues that I saw with it was there was no reason to get the VIP treatment with this. Because people were paying, I think it was like upwards of $200 to get this VIP treatment for it for a whole weekend or whatever and people were just saying it wasn't worth it in terms of you didn't get to necessarily skip lines to get on rides quicker you had access to these things earlier but it didn't really like help much at all there were things like funko pops that you can get that were supposedly exclusives that only vips can get they ended up selling them during the show so it's like a lot of things the added value that you got really wasn't worth it and a lot of the stuff supposedly you can do in one day it's kind of like if you'd go to disney world and you only did magic kingdom for a whole week it's like right i got everything done in like a day it where if you're there a whole week and you have the pat uh park hopper pass and you're going to all these different parks and you're like you know we went to animal kingdom this morning let's head back to magic kingdom i want to ride space mountain yeah then you're getting like you can kind of pick and choose it, animal kingdom sucks yeah epcot's exactly. the best because i'm a fatty so hey let's okay. go eat all the food hey drink the only all the thing with uh animal kingdom though expedition Everest. 
Best ride at Disney, probably. Best yeah. ride at Disney, by far. Yeah, I have some pretty good pictures of me when they take shirtless. The were you? <laughs> me. Is that the one where you were rubbing your nipples? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was the mo- farmer was the Fran. Mustard tiger. You were from... you were farmer Fran, just. Yeah. I was I was the mustard tiger from uh, Trailer Park Boys, man. Oh, R.I.P. But thank you. Shout out to the collector for yeah, that. Yeah, collector. Thank you so um, much, dude. Really coming through. Got some awesome B-roll footage from that event. Like I said, there was a lot of really cool stuff. The models that were shown of Master Chief and the flood and stuff, they all looked really detailed, which is awesome. That's one thing I would want to see. If it was a little bit closer, I would really want to go. Hearing this now, I'm, I'm not happy that we're not going to Philadelphia to go do it, but it's more or less... If it was closer, I would, but it doesn't sound like... It sounds like the next time they do this, in terms of if they do it next year or whatnot, I think the feedback they're going to get is really good that hopefully they treat it like they're treating the series right now with Infinite. They're listening to their fans and hearing what they want, and they'll adapt to that. But enough of that. Let's get into the game of the week. The game of the week this week is one that is especially familiar to my two co-hosts here, Ninja Gaiden Black. So, if you're not familiar, Ninja Gaiden Black, it was first released on... September 20th, 2005, on the original Xbox. So we're talking an original Xbox game that's available on Game Pass. It is a re-release of the original Ninja Gaiden game from 2004. So it's like a rework compilation, taking a lot of the original game, adding some new cutscenes. Basically imagine like an Ultimate Edition or a Complete Edition. It was almost a Game of the Year edition. Right, yeah. It was kind of, it's kind of like The Witcher 3 with its Complete Edition. It has all the DLC and different things like that. Some new skins and different things like that. So they're thrown in. If you're not familiar with the game... Uh, it is an action-adventure game. It was developed by Team Ninja. They're doing Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 that's coming out this week, but they're really known for their Dead or Alive series as well. Same with the PlayStation-exclusive Neo. They're doing that, which Neo 2 coming out next year. So I will open it up a little bit. I want to get some more details from my two co-hosts who are really familiar with this game. My experience with this game has always been... I appreciated it from afar. Mostly because... This game is fucking difficult. <laughs> it is very difficult. It is really, um, and we'll definitely get into it. You're going to be hearing a lot of Dark Souls references. You're going to be hearing a lot of Cuphead references. You're going to be hearing a lot of these skill-based games like that that require really learning patterns and things like that, which I'm much more versed at, I feel, now, and I feel much more comfortable handling them. But growing up with these two guys, they always tag-teamed it. I, I, I appreciated what this game was, very much so. I always appreciate I knew it was a great game. I knew it was a well-polished game, but I was always very intimidated. It was one of those things that, kind of like I look at Sekiro and Dark Souls. I like Cuphead because I have an attachment to that, but at the same time, like when I play Dark Souls, I don't necessarily have, which is weird because I like the fantasy set, but I have a hard time grasping that in the three dimensions with stuff like that. I don't know why. So it's like games like Sekiro and stuff like that, like, cool, I know what you're doing, and I really, really appreciate it, just not for me. But I did play a vast majority of this game recently, getting ready for this podcast. But I want to open it up to my two co-hosts. Adam, I want you to tell me a little bit more about this game. Give us the details going in, because I know Mike speedruns this game. Mike does a lot with this game. He kind of knows this inside out from a gameplay perspective. I want to hear from Adam first, who was always, as the quote-unquote, player two, player three of our tandem. Mm-hmm. Um so I want to hear from your perspective. Give me a little insight on this game. Let me know what this game's all about. And kind of give me a breakdown of what gamers can expect going into this game. Sure. So to me, Ninja Gaiden Black has always been a game about traversal and about overwhelming combat situations where the odds are stacked against you, but you have a lot of tools in your toolkit to 
dispatch enemies in really stylish flair kind of ways. So the game centers on a ninja named Ryu Hayabusa, and he's kind of like the last of his clan. As the story goes on, you'll realize that he's somewhat out for revenge. He's trying to recover this like ancient artifact evil sword that the world just doesn't need unleashed on it right now. He's almost like plucked out of time because he's basically a traditional ninja, but he's fighting against these like technological cyborg enemies who have like plasma sabers. It's whacked out and like some of the aspects of the game delve into more fantasy. Some of it gets more sci-fi. It's a little bit eclectic in that sense. Um, it kind of reminds me of Samurai Jack, honestly, like the way the, the tone and the setting work. But the gameplay is one part traversing these like difficult environments with all kinds of hazards and gaps. And you're using your ninja skills. You're running on walls. You're flipping over like poles and stuff. And the other half is really difficult combat. You've got like a handful of weapons at your disposal that you can upgrade throughout the game, get better combos, and there's a huge horde of enemies. And in any given encounter, you're always going to be outnumbered. So it's up to you to use your cunning and your skills to figure out how to deal with those situations that are stacked against you. And I'll toss it over to Mike and say like, what about Ninja Gaiden really appeals to you? Like what draws you in about that game? Yeah, definitely. One of the reasons why I really got hooked on the Ninja Gaiden was like the difficulty factor. When I was younger, I had the original version, which was just Ninja Gaiden. It wasn't the Ninja Gaiden Black. We had that, and then Ninja Gaiden Black came out, and I repurchased the game. And I do mean repurchase the game. <laughs> Shout out to Boogie. And when I got Ninja Gaiden Black, I thought it was interesting because if you die three times in a row you get offered to go down to Ninja Dog difficulty, which is an easier difficulty. Basically what it does is it dumbs the AI down a little bit, makes some of the battles have a little weaker opponents. And the thing about Ninja Gaiden is that every situation that you're put in, even all the way up to Master Ninja difficulty, there's a way about beating it. There's nothing in this game that is undoable. The problem is, is you have to adapt and you have to change what you do and you have to change your play style most of the time to be able to endure and beat these enemies. The enemies you face on a rapid basis that you're constantly facing can be tough. And then you face these bosses that at the end of every chapter, sometimes there's many bosses in the middle of the chapter and then there's these bosses at the end of the chapter that are just very difficult. But the thing about it is, is there's a way to beat all of these bosses. And, you know, you just kind of have to learn the way about how to beat them. And then when you go up in difficulty... It might be the same boss you're fighting, but in hard difficulty, you'll fight the same boss, but there'll be little minions around him. So you're not mono e mono now. Now you're fighting the boss, but you're also fighting these little, sometimes they're the ninjas and their suits denote how difficult they are. There's like brown ninjas. There's white suited ninjas that are a little tougher. And then there's like the black uh, spider clan that are really tough and they'll surround these bosses and you kind of have to fight them while fighting the boss. And you have to use the right trigger to center the camera around you a lot. And some of the difficulty in lies in maneuvering your camera appropriately so you can see what you're doing at all times. But it's in a way that's pretty easy and seamless. All you have to do is pull the right trigger and your hand's already there. So it's not really clunky to, to control the camera. It takes a little bit of time to get used to I've it. I always felt like it was like <clears throat> an integrated challenge. It didn't feel like you were fighting against the game to get the camera to work. Right. It felt like it was one more thing that you had to juggle as part of the battle that was like 
it felt balanced almost. Yeah, absolutely. And Travis opened it up well by saying, I speedrun the game. Well, there's a lot of technical aspects to speedrunning this game. And one of the reasons why I love speedrunning this game is because there's no like game-breaking glitches that you do to speedrun this game. Pretty much play the game straight up. There's some cheesy things you have to do. But like to beat the game in general, it's, it's easier to cheese. So like... You have to cheese certain bosses even as a as a regular player, but in the speedrun world of this game, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about fighting these bosses that normal players would like. They would never think that this combo would work, but there's certain AI aspects to these bosses that you can kind of manipulate and abuse, and that's what the speedrunners do, but the movement to the game and the fighting in the game are so fluid and pixel perfect, and what I mean by that is if you've ever played the game, you're familiar with the ghost fish that can latch onto you. They can make your life a living hell, but there's a jump you can do called like, I forget the exact term we use for it, but it's like a neutral stick jump, so you jump forward, so you hold your thumbstick forward hit the a button to jump and as you land you release the stick so you release the stick back to neutral and then you go forward and jump again and if you continue to do this jump maneuver the fish actually can't latch on to you for whatever reason there's programming in the game and that's an example of a pixel perfect thing using ultimate combos and i'm meaning like against most of the enemies in normal a single ultimate combo charge will do the damage necessary to kill them well you can use yellow essence to do said single ultimate charge and using those ultimates because you can jump and as soon as your feet are touching the ground you can start holding in y and that's the button you use to charge your ultimate and as soon as you hit the ground you're charging your ultimate you suck in a yellow essence and boom you're charged and then you kill enemies and you can kill multiple enemies with one charge. So there's things like that in this game that are super technical. As a competitive gamer, I am really drawn to all this technical gameplay that you use. But you can also go artistic with it. Instead of being a, a numbers guy and being really statistical based and really technical, you can be artsy with it if you're not playing for a speed run. If you're just playing the game, there's so many combos that you can learn through the game that they give you. You can buy from Muramasa, the shopkeep, to learn these new combos. And there's different weapons the game even though in the speed run you pretty much just stick to the Vigorian flail a little bit and then you use the dragon sword pretty much the rest of the time there's a multitude of weapons that you can use and I know Adam loves to use like the lunar and kind of mix it up and then you learn all these combos for these different weapons and guess what the game's designed in a way that, yeah, you can use the dragon sword and muscle through it all like speedrunners do, but as a casual player, there is a multitude of weapons. Um, you can upgrade the wooden sword all the way to this big ass, uh, this big ass wooden paddle and just beat the <laughs> shit out of people with it. It's a really cool game and it offers so much. And then that's not even talking about the missions that are offered with this game. So with the re-release of Ninja Gaiden Black, you know, we get the missions that are more difficult than than the game too. So I kind of want to open up the topical discussion a little bit. Yeah. Um, and pull on a couple threads. So we touched on it before, the difficulty of this game. It is a notoriously difficult series. And it always has been since the original incarnation of the Ninja Gaiden series on the NES. It's just been a tough series. It's leaned into the difficulty. So, but the DNA of this game, it could really be found in a multitude of modern titles. Like I said, from software titles, Souls games, Sekiro. Stuff like that, they're really based on knowing movements, knowing patterns, cuphead, things like that due to its difficulty. Have you ever thought titles like this, do you ever think it was too hard at times or were there ever parts of this you're like, all right, that's just, that's just fucking unfair. Like, were there ever parts of this that the difficulty took away from your overall enjoyment 
of this game. Yeah, uh, absolutely. This is a game that when I was younger, I couldn't beat it on normal difficulty. I beat it on Ninja Dog first. And then after I beat it on Ninja Dog, because the enemies were a little bit slower reacting, they're a little bit easier to beat. When you play through on Ninja Dog, you can kind of learn the movements and the attacks you need to utilize on normal mode. But everything sped up a little bit more on normal. So beating it on Ninja Dog, I learned how to beat most of these enemies. And when I went to normal, I breezed through it on normal. But at first, it was really hard. It was like banging your head against the wall. And now that I've played the game through a bunch of times and speedrun it, obviously, I think the game... I still acknowledge, like, if you go and play on hard and, and master ninja, and very hard and master ninja difficulty, the game's still freaking hard. But to me, like, the normal difficulty is pretty easy because I learned to speedrun it. But when I was younger, absolutely, I mean, there were times that I was like, wow, this game's just so hard. I'm annoyed. I don't want to play the game anymore. I fought this boss for an hour. I can't beat the son of a bitch. So I'd turn the Xbox off, come back the next day, beat him in one try, and it's like, oh, I was super on tilt. I couldn't get through it. And, I mean, yeah, I think that the game is is very difficult, and it's one of the hardest games I've ever played in my entire life. This mm-hmm. game and uh, Ninja Gaiden 2 is a little easier, but Ninja Gaiden Black, specifically, one of the hardest games I've ever played in my life. And that's because it's very punishing when you make mistakes. When you make mistakes, like, I, I touched on the technical aspect of this game with your movements. If you make a mistake with your movement or a, a mistake with your attack, there's certain attacks you do where you can leave yourself vulnerable for a long time. It's a power attack. You miss your power attack. You're vulnerable, and an enemy can get in some licks on you and do a lot of damage really fast. So it's very tough because you have to be very methodical with the way you play the game. And I do think that some people can think it's too hard. I know I, I spoke about Maxi Lobes a little bit in a different episode where we were kind of going off on a question about different games like Devil May Cry and that. But, you know, he, he was on stream saying, like, against a couple bosses, like, this is just unreasonable. Like, this is unreasonable. Why am I playing this game? And it leaves you with that taste. But to counter that, there's certain people like me that, like, when I feel like a game's too good for me, I want to, like, I'm like, no. Like, fuck that. I'm better than this game. I can figure this out. So I think that, yeah, it's very tough. But to me, it's rewarding when you beat something. When something's so hard and then you defeat it finally, you're like, yes. What a great, like, what a great taste in your mouth when you, when you beat something like that. Adam, what do you have to say about that? I mostly agree with what you're saying there. It's definitely that feeling of like, once you've beat your head against that wall for so long, when it finally tumbles down, it feels really good. Yeah. And so like, just to kind of get into more of the nuts and bolts of how I feel about the difficulty, it's definitely punishing at times, like you said. Mostly something that sticks out to me with difficulty and punishment is like, how quickly can I iterate on a mistake? And Ninja Gaiden, it really relishes in punishing the player. It takes its time. So like, if you're getting caught by an enemy when you're vulnerable, if you're like in a cooldown period or something like that, if some of these bosses snag you, or if some of these, even these little minions running around start pouncing on you, there are some parts where there's like three to eight second long animations where you just have to sit there and watch your health bar drain out and if you were low enough to begin with and you know there's this like long combo they're about to do on you, you know as soon as you get grabbed that you're going to die and then there's no point to watch the whole thing. <laughs> but you got to watch your ass <laughs> you get kicked. To. You have to you have to take the pain. Then you watch yourself get slammed to the ground, you hear oh uh, uh, and you see that right, dreaded right. game over screen and you're like son of a bitch. And you got to go back to your save point. So, in that aspect, it's a little bit punishing if you um, if you make a mistake, it's difficult to iterate on it although that is what the game is really focused on right if i were to see a modern title take on this 
it's like on a scale of this to Super Meat Boy, where like as soon as you die, you're instantly back in there. Like, okay, you can try again. Yeah. If I were to see another type of uh, Ninja Gaiden style game made today, I would like to see faster iteration time as a as an accessibility kind of feature. And if you miss a save point, you go way back. Well, that's oh, and yeah. that's my. There's that's no auto saves. That's one of my big things that, you know me, like I said, I always viewed this game from afar, watching you guys mostly play it, because I was very intimidated by it. But now, having a little more confidence in my abilities with games like this to just try and tackle it if I don't like it, oh well. But where I can still appreciate games are good, even if they are hard, and I don't see the value in that, but I'm seeing more value in that now. But point being like the thing that kind of stuck out to me like you were saying adam and mike too with the save points and stuff you know i would die multiple times where in places you guys probably are like at this point playing through it you're like oh that was easy but like you know first boss died a handful of times until i just started doing the jump y down like attack and would just you know jump and do damage jump off a wall do extra damage to get on him and just kind of like spam that shit to get by him second boss that didn't work. Yeah. So I was going repeatedly back Second to boss the Massacado. He's yes. on the on the horse. Yeah. Yes. And he does the spinning lance. Yeah. That will hit you whenever you jump up high and stuff like that. Finally did beat him, but it was one of those things that, man, there's some streamlining with this that could really be done that you could tell it's from 2004 or 5. With that being said, though, this kind of leads into the next question I wanted to ask, though. Playing it on Xbox One X recently, the visuals on this actually have held up really well they're up to 4k it's fucking gorgeous for a 2004 5 game it is really good looking outside of visuals though do you guys think this gameplay out the box from 2005 playing it on game pass do you think this gameplay transitions well to the modern age caveats aside like we already talked about iteration time is something that would be nice to see sped up because um, it's like, after you've been punished so many times, it's like, I get it, I need to learn how to do this part. At the same time, though, I feel like playing this game today feels just as fresh as it did back then. Like the, It's almost like an arcade-style throwback, where it's that old-school, tough, it's gonna eat all your quarters, but it feels really good to finally conquer it. And like, it doesn't have like a really complicated story going on, it's really digestible, you can really just get into the action. The, the story is amazing, though. Yeah. Like, I'm... like while you say it's not complicated, and, it, and it's really not, yeah. but there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a story that really can grab onto you. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's moving parts, and there's stuff going on in the background that Ryu and the player are not aware of. I think at times, I really like stories that do this, where like the protagonist is working towards a goal, and he realizes that he's being manipulated and he's like, oh, okay, I, there's actually this power who's been, like, using me as a pawn, and now you actually go and fight that power. I love stories like that. That's right. Great. It's very engaging. It doesn't have to be complicated. There's not a huge cast of characters or villains with, like, complicated backstories. And, like, it's not all that emotional of a story. It's pretty straightforward. It's like, Ryu's got a goal. These people are standing in his way. There's a couple of people who help him out along the way. It's just like, I want to get to the finish. There is a huge plot twist at the end. Almost M. Night Shyamalan-esque when you figure out who the final boss is. Exactly, and that's that's dovetailing into the uh, the manipulation aspect of the story, which I love. And when you guys get to the end, when you see that ending, or if, if you ever see someone speedrun it, you're going to... In, like, 
when, when we speed run the game, we're skipping these cutscenes that are important to the story. Like, boom, like, we're hitting the X button, like, as fast as we can. We're like, hurry up, go, 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 go. And we're trying to save our time, so we don't want to watch these cutscenes. But when you watch them as a casual player, you'll get all this story, and then at the end, it's going to click, and you're going to be like, holy shit, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with what you're saying. The only thing that really kind of, and you touched on it a little bit before with the camera, the camera did feel clunky to me. Going right. back to play. And... I do agree, though, that if that's what the vision of the game is, and that's an added layer, like Adam was saying, to the gameplay that you just have to learn how to do, I'm okay with that. To me, it did feel a little clunky, but with the controls being its own, that didn't take away from the game. Right. That wasn't like every time I'm going, I'm like, what the fuck? I, don't, I have to keep hitting right trigger to center myself and then <laughs> kind of turn around and do a little and I line up. No, it's... No, it didn't. I was just like, okay, I'll hit right trigger. One last thing I wanted to throw. No, out. absolutely. Having played the sequel, and I think Sigma might have even had these. There was a re- there was a further remake of Black on the PS3 called Sigma. Right. That I think had like you could play of, as Rachel too. Yeah, there were a couple new story threads, uh, but it was mostly the same game, kind of remixed. Uh, and also, definitely Ninja Gaiden Two had these features. There were some quality of life things like opening your inventory to take health items or switch your with weapons. With a D-pad. That was on the D-pad, and you didn't have to go into a pause screen right. in those later games. Uh, seeing that in black would be really cool. I mean, I know it's mostly just a port of the old one, but like that's one uh, aspect of the gameplay that I feel like isn't quite modern yet. Yeah, it's pretty clunky, that part. I agree. And, and the camera thing... I can 100% understand where you're coming with a camera. Because I remember when I first started playing the game, I'm like, what the hell is going on with this camera? But now, playing it for as many hours as I've played it, speedrunning it, in battle, like, if you come and tune into my Twitch when I'm speedrunning, you'll see me literally seamlessly. I'm fighting enemies, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm hitting the right trigger. And it's like, boom, the camera's snapping behind me. And, like, I don't, I'm not sitting there thinking, like, hitting, like, delaying being like oh and hitting the camp like to me once you get used to it a little bit you you'll just start like almost subconsciously just snapping the camera to where you need it to be another skill that you have to master as you play the game right i think it adds to the difficulty and not in an annoying way because i feel like we talked about in a different episode and you guys will hear it coming up we talked about resident evil 4 a little bit like the Resident Evil games uses camera for difficulty because you cannot rotate around without pressing that button combo where you rotate 180 mm-hmm. and you can't change the sensitivity. So it's like you turn around really slow and I feel like that makes it difficult and I don't really like – I like Resident Evil, but I don't like games that uses cameras like that to increase the difficulty. Like you can't escape from this situation as fast because you have to rotate it's, the camera. It's almost like a different take on tank control. Right. Which I agree. I don't like – that's what pushed me away from Resident Evil 1 and 2 originally right. until they were re-released. Which Resident Evil 2, incredible. The re-release, oh, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, moving along here a little bit, kind of want to head into what we talked on before with you, Mike, speedrunning. Yeah, sure. So speedrunning is a whole different ball of wax for a lot of people. The community is very close-knit. They do a lot of great things. A lot of people are very divisive at the same time on speedrunning. But I overall think speedrunning is great. I think that's a very cool niche aspect of gaming that we're really getting to see now over the past decade or so now with awesome games done quick and summer games done quick and all these things that they take the the skill set that they have with these games and it really really 
are making a positive impact. Yeah, in, with all know, the donations. Being, yeah, and being a really good flag bearer for the gaming community, especially in that aspect. But sure. Touching on speedrunning, and if I recall, your one, I think your PR is like for Ninja Gaiden Black, wasn't it like the 12th? fastest or something you tied it or yeah it it was like the 12th fastest in the world there's not a whole lot of people on the speedrun.net like the the scoreboard Mm -hmm. there but yeah it was technically like the 12th best in the world yeah Yeah, so and it was at two minutes two hours and 45 minutes around there my pb but you came into my twitch chat (laughs) and said wow this run is going really well good shit man and i look at the chat and i'm like dude are you fucking kidding me? You've played baseball all your life, yeah. and you come in here and you jinx me, and then literally two minutes later, my fucking screen froze, and I safety saved a while back, and it literally lost me like 30 minutes. I would have did like a two hours and nine minute run, but it wound up being two hours and 45 minutes Ugh. because in Ninja Gaiden Black, we covered, we touched on this briefly with the save points. Speedrunners that are going for world records, they don't safety save. Mm-hmm. So if you're in Chapter 15 and you accidentally get cheesed by a boss and die... You go all the way back to the beginning and your run's over. Because I safety save because there's certain points in the game that, even as a speedrunner, there's the chance that you're going to die. So you yeah. want to safety save because you don't want to fuck your whole run up. Right, right. So basically what you're saying is, I kind of fucked you up. You fucked me. Yeah. Fair enough. Hey, fair <laughs> enough. I, I admittedly, once I said I was like, ah, oh, you Everybody in my chat's like, are you fucking your kidding me? Your brother was like, you dumbass. Spat was like, why would you do that? <laughs> to get your mind off of that, let me spit a, another question at you, Mike. Yeah, man. Would you consider... You've talked about Ninja Gaiden uh, and its particular appeal as a speedrunning game. Sure. Namely that, like, there's not a lot of glitching that you have to do. It's all about mastering the skills that the normal game right. of you. It's not like, I don't know, I think of Ocarina of Time, and, it, it, and it's... Impressive in its own right. You know that glitch where like you go to Goma and then you skip to the end. Oh yeah. There's nothing. And like then that the infinite sword glitch where you where you have the Deku stick and it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah there's sure. Nothing like that to be found in Ninja Gaiden Black. Right. Would you consider those good reasons for Ninja Gaiden Black to be a starting place for speedrunners? Let me redact on a statement. You cheese the fuck out of bosses in this game. Okay. There's some foo, which is first order optimal. Sure. If you guys don't know at home, but. There's some strategies that you use that you absolutely cheese the fuck out of the boss. Travis said he has problems with the first boss, and I'll give you guys a little tidbit. If you want to dive into this game, first boss is really frustrating, but it's a very, very important part of the game. So I'll actually actually save this to the end of the podcast, and when we do our sign-off, I'll give you guys a little tidbit on how to beat the first two bosses in case... You know, like, you're stuck on them, and you're like, holy shit, like, this is annoying. I'll give you the, the secrets to beating those first two. If you're wondering, I will be listening to that. (laughs) (laughs) So you can absolutely just cheese the fuck out of the bosses in this game. Where, like, the normal player would watch a speedrun and be like, why didn't I think to do that? Well, why would anybody? But people are optimizing this run. I don't think that Ninja Gaiden Black is a good place for you to start speedrunning. If you are passionate about Ninja Gaiden Black, you love the game, and you just enjoy it as a casual player... Absolutely, speedrunning this game is really rewarding because it's a game where after you play through some harder difficulties, you might get to Master Ninja, try to play through Master Ninja and be like, this is annoying, like I never want to play through this difficulty. Well, the game offers those missions that you can use, which which are awesome, but speedrunning is a way to kind of challenge yourself to get better at the game in, in technical aspects that you can use to beat Master Ninja. Um, no, if you're just a random person, I wouldn't recommend speed speedrunning ninja guide in black i'd recommend playing through normal 
uh, and just like playing it straight up for a while. And then once you play it straight up for a while, if you do really enjoy the game and you start to fall in love with the game, absolutely speedrun it. It's really rewarding. If I was going to tell you to start somewhere, I'd say somewhere like a, a Resident Evil 2, uh, Resident Evil 7, but a Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil 2 offers a lot of difficulty, but it offers some important parts of speedrunning that help you. Like, I started speedrunning Resident Evil 2 when it just came out because you have to memorize certain puzzles and you have to memorize certain muscle memory. And that's very important with Ninja Gaiden Black. There's muscle memory with Resident Evil 2 that when you start speedrunning a game and you're like beating it over and over and over again, that your hands, you'll learn the muscle memory for this puzzle or this or that or this. You don't even have to think about it. It's just second nature. Ninja Guide Black Speedrun has a ton of that. So a game like Resident Evil 2, where the shooting's a little difficult and the movement's a little difficult, but it's nothing as close to the difficulty of Ninja Gaiden Black. And the speedrunning of Ninja Gaiden Black is very punishing. But, like I said, if you love the game, I would speedrun it. But okay. it's kind of piggybacking off of that conversation, accessibility. Yeah. And things like that, that... We hear a lot about in 2019, especially, Mike, you saying learning these muscle memories, learning these controls, and kind of needing to understand that, hey, this is what this game offers. If you like that, great. If you don't, great. It's not for you. But this is what it offers. There's no real compromise with that. Sure. In 2019, a lot of good things have been done for accessibility for games. You know, it's definitely vital for the growth, I would say, across a multitude of spectrums. And we're talking, you know, Xbox does it great with their adaptable controller that they have for people who have special needs and things like that to make it more accessible to game. You know, people who don't have the access for their hands and different things like that that need that extra level of accessibility. At the same time, though, there's a big, I would say, I don't want to say controversy, but there's the topic surrounding this that, well, should a developer be forced to put in, say, an easy mode or various different controller schemes and things like that just to adapt to X amount of people that might be compromising their vision for this game. Earlier this year, it was Sekiro. When that came out, a lot of people were like, Great. You know, that certain type of gamer that loves Dark Souls and loves these very difficult games, kind of like you, with yeah. this game specifically, and that's why I bring it up, that they like this a lot. Whereas there's other people who are more like, hey, you know, I like what you're doing. I definitely would play it if there was an easy mode. Yeah. Or if there was, you know, I didn't have to worry about doing this all the time with controls. It seems clunky or it seems like... but. It all kind of feeds into the difficulty with it, but I don't really want to deal with that. But now developers are kind of being called out for that, if you sure. want to even say. Mm -hmm. So my thing is, do you feel like games of this nature that are known for their difficulty, do you think games of this genre, do you think they should have scalable difficulty? Do you think they should have customizable controls? Obviously, you know, people with special needs who need... There's outliers with this, by well, sure. all means. You yeah. know, there's different things like that. But really, should developers be forced to put this in if it's compromising their vision just to appease certain, you know, demographics of gamers? It just depends. I had an answer for this question because we kind of, we share the, the show notes before the podcast just so, like, we can kind of try to, as much as we can, not fumble around things of this. But it, it, we like to seem like we at least know something what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, like, like we, we don't, we, if we just sat here and fumbled around, we could make every episode 17 hours and right. you guys would hate it. But for me, I had a quite, I had an answer prepared for this. And I think I'm, I'm going to just kind of wing it on this because I, I kind of want to change my answer to this. As far as developers just making a straight up easy mode because people are like sick of getting their ass kicked, 
I get it. It's 2019. You know, people can be somewhat soft at times. I, I get that. But to me, I would settle for like a training mode, like release a training mode where you kind of teach people the basics because Ninja Gaiden doesn't have that. Ninja Gaiden literally says, here's level one. Have fun. Guess what? Go play. Where like if they were like, here's how you move. Here's how you roll. Here's how you attack. Now they have these little things that are kind of like Navi from Ocarina of Time where they have, there's these little like shuriken that come out of the sky and they'll give you hints and tips throughout the game. And it's really cool that they give you that. But I understand where you're coming from with the gamers of, of need that need alternate controls. And it's tough. A game like Ninja Gaiden to me, I'm thinking in my head and I'm not disabled. So I, and I've never tried to play with something like a controller that a disabled player would play with, but I'm closing my eyes and I'm thinking to myself, like, what if I didn't have use of my hands and I wanted to use my mouth to play? Like I've seen people play CSGO with their mouth. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, there's a lot of controls and there's a lot of movement, diagonal, right, left, up, down, diagonal, block, attack, there's a lot of buttons you're hitting all at once. And to me, it's really overwhelming to think about how someone with a disability would play a game like this. But at the same time, maybe the dev could do something like outsource that part. Maybe they could, maybe there'll be a central like Xbox hub that are like, there'll be people that say, this is how you program your game to be accessible for these controllers. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. If they can do that in 2019, that's wonderful. But the game was released a while ago, so it wasn't, as important then people who were disabled then were like well you just couldn't play was a very different like you uh, couldn't you just couldn't play, play. Yeah, and i'm happy that a lot of disabled people are playing but i don't think developers should compromise their vision of a game specifically for easier difficulty but maybe you could do something where like if you have a an accessible controller plugged in mm-hmm. you could turn the difficulty down so the opponents are a little slower not like dumbed down so it makes you feel like the game is so easy, right. but make it to where like the opponents in Ninja Gaiden, if you've never watched or never played, when you're attacking one opponent, if you start juggling them in the air, the opponents on the bottom on the ground are getting ready to attack you. As soon as you hit the ground, they're swooping in to attack. There's a lot of things moving at once. So you're saying you're saying something within the code of the game, whenever it triggers whenever you plug in a certain controller yeah it triggers okay here's would you like the normal difficulty setting or would you like adaptive setting yeah or something like that yeah and not make it like don't name it like easy noob setting but make it like adaptive controls and and then just put in the description like you know enemies at this at this difficulty or enemies at this level will move a little 75 or move a little slower to for you to get your feet wet and then by all means, if you want to bump up the difficulty mm-hmm. again because you're used to the controls now and you figured it out, yeah. then you can turn it up. But, you know, that way it makes it to where those players are learning to play this game because the movement and, like, imagine playing Ninja Gaiden because you have started and you're doing all this stuff and then you have to control the camera at the same time. Absolutely. And you don't have your the use of your hands or you only have the use of one hand. Like, there's so much going on that it would be really difficult. And I want to I want to volley this to you, Adam, who has development experience. How do you feel about this? What do you think? I think what Mike proposes is a great idea. When you come into a game with accessibility in mind up front, you can prepare and design systems that are like... It's harder to go back and force accessibility onto a completed game mm-hmm. because there's only so much you can do. The code bases are basically rigid at that point. Uh, there might be a couple of tweaks you can force in, but for the most part, you're constrained. But when you come in with an attitude of, okay, 
we're going to have all of the enemies running off of kind of the same template where their reaction time is going to be an adjustable variable, then the rest of your game is open for anyone who needs to adjust it to exactly where they need it to be. Maybe you don't have great motor control, and so you need to tune the enemy's reaction time down to suit your level of play. Yeah. And, and maybe, uh, maybe you do that because you're a person with a disability, and maybe you do that because you're a person who just isn't good at the game yet. Yeah. Maybe, it, maybe it's for younger players. But whatever the reason, you can tune it to how you need it, tune it back up once you start getting better at it, and the accessibility isn't just for the person with a disability anymore it kind of lifts everyone up at that point. Right. Um, and I think developers have to approach accessibility proactively. Yes. When you design ahead of time, you can do really awesome things like that. And it goes beyond, I don't know, there's even some things in accessibility with games today that slips through and like it could be done very easily, even if you're not proactive. Like, I don't know, text size for subtitles or, I don't know, stuff like that. But yeah. Which, then- it's definitely something that deserves attention Mm -hmm. i think your proposal was uh a great way to integrate it from the top down yeah so maybe we could do it to where in the training mode like you just do a little training mode where you don't necessarily change the difficulty of the entire game but like you said you know like in, in mortal Kombat, when you're working on combos you can make the opponent mirror your attacks you can make the opponent do certain things like like the block or do this or do that or attack at you so you can learn to counter certain things maybe you could do yeah. a training mode where you could slow the enemies down and and that wouldn't necessarily just make the whole game easier mm-hmm. but you can say like wow i'm really bad at this specific enemy let me slow it down a little bit that way i can learn what the ai is working on yeah and then when you start beating them at 75% speed, you speed them up to 85, then to 95. And then guess what? You're back to normal speed. Absolutely. And then those people, you're like, Beh, no no worries. I can just brush them right off. So, Adam, you had a little bit to uh, add in. Right. When it comes to adjusting options for yourself where you need, for instance, enemy reaction times to be lowered so that the game is more accessible to you, I think this is a bit of a slippery slope argument. Maybe it's not really a risk, but... I don't think a player should have to design their own experience. I think for the most part, the developer's job is to provide the definitive experience that mostly everyone should play and they're going to get the same reactions out of it. And like, But at the same time, I recognize that all media is a dialogue and everyone's going to take things a different way. Sure. But I think there is a present risk with accessibility options of inundating a player who doesn't know, like, okay, what what do my settings need to be? Sure. Inundating them with options so that they're just paralyzed by the decisions. Yeah. Um, for instance, like, a lot of games, this is a much simpler example, a lot of games have a set, like, four set difficulties that you can pick, and you have to make that decision before you even try the game out. Most people will gravitate towards normal maybe easy if you're not in the mood, maybe hard if you're a hard ass That's and better. you know you want a challenge. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> but, but even, like, your personal biases will play into that. But to be honest, you have no objective means to say whether one difficulty is going to be better for you than another. Um, and so, and that goes in deeper with other options that a developer could say, like, don't make a player design their own experience, design it for them and give them the options to make informed decisions about it. But with that being said, I think all of your suggestions were really good for accessibility. 
one thing I really like also is adaptive difficulty. Okay. Resident Evil 4 has come up in discussion tonight a lot. One thing that that game does really well is adaptive difficulty. And it's not advertised anywhere in the game or in the marketing. But a lot of game journalists have, re- have revealed that if you fail a certain section over and over again in Resi 4, it will reduce the number of enemies in that area until you can pass through. And if you start doing better, if you like save your ammo and you do really well, it'll start to scale it back up again. So it really tailors itself to your skill level. That's cool. And that's something I think a lot of games could do. Uh, it might be easy to cheese if they advertise that kind of thing. Maybe Resident Evil was lightning in a bottle and it couldn't be done well again. But who knows? So kind of capping off our topical discussion, I wanted to bring up looking at the future of the series possible. We haven't seen a true entry, mainline entry, into the Ninja Gaiden series since the third on 360 and PS3, and that was 2012. Seven years is a long time, even in game development. I mean, there's games that do, starting in pre-production, that take, you know, seven, eight years. I think CD Projekt Red right now with Cyberpunk, it's been in pre-production, or development, their pre-production started in, like, 2011, 2012, but... actually shown to the public it's never really that long with that being said and with so many various platforms available for games at this point do you think we'll see this franchise return in say five years like will we see this on next gen and just to keep in mind just to set the base for discussion about the series and where it's left off three had very mixed reviews so i don't think it's without warrant i I believe metacritic score at the time of this recording is like a 58 out of 100 it's not good. Definitely getting like a mediocre score, more or less. So I want to open up to you, Adam. Where do you see the series in five years? Do you think we see Toe Dipped in the Water with a re-release, maybe, to see if people are still interested in it? Or do we see just a Ninja Gaiden 4 or a Ninja Gaiden reboot on Project Scarlet or PlayStation 5 or what have you? I think it's possible that we'll see more Ninja Gaiden in the, in the near future. Like you mentioned earlier, they developed Neo, mm-hmm. which... Actually, they kind of jumped ship and started aping the Dark Souls formula, which I didn't play that game. I don't know how well it was just was received or even what I would have thought. Neo of was received pretty well, if I remember correctly. Okay. So with Team Ninja succeeding in ventures like that, I think it's always possible that a studio is going to look back to its roots and say, hey, uh, what? You know, maybe this is now fertile ground that we can revisit and start mm-hmm. releasing either reboots or new games so i think it's reasonable that we'd see a new ninja gaiden within the next five years i have no idea what shape that'll take i would assume with it coming to game pass and getting more visibility they might dip their toes in with remakes first Mm -hmm. uh, and then move on to sequels from there yeah what do you think mike uh this this is a interesting (laughs) one um i don't i don't foresee this game getting uh any more iterations as much as it pains me to say that because this game series is near and dear to my heart i love this game series i love ryu hayabusa as a main character it's fantastic it's great stuff i hope you guys play one and two i hope you guys really do enjoy ninja gaiden black and it makes you want to go out and buy ninja gaiden 2 i hope that this game being on game pass gets downloaded a shit ton of times xbox sees that it's gaining traction and maybe has a reason to you know drum up team ninja and say hey let's Let's get together. Let's make something special because Ninja Gaiden Black was an Xbox exclusive. Ninja Gaiden 2 was an Xbox exclusive. So I wish and I hope that this game being on Game Pass might be good for that. But at the end of the day, 
I just don't see Team Ninja coming back and doing something with Ninja Gaiden as a series. It's just so long past, and the difficulty that it was. The problem with Ninja Gaiden 3 was, like, everyone was expecting Black and 2, mm-hmm. and they were trying to adapt to a time where games were getting easier and easier, and they're getting easier and easier, and there's a lot of cutscenes and there's a lot of things that you would do as a player before that they just kind of streamlined to give you a story. And it just wasn't very enjoyable from the hardcore Ninja Gaiden people. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a fan base big enough to warrant doing another game. And yeah. I would like, I would love nothing more than to play a Ninja Gaiden four and it'd be like classic Ninja Gaiden. Oh yeah. I sure. would love nothing more, but I don't see it happening. I think like I would more, I would sooner write a f- fan fiction, which like, now that we're talking about it, I might write. I might run a fa- write a fan fiction, maybe without like the steamy sex that people would write for <laughs> for anime fan fiction. But I would love to write like a novel on Ryu Hayabusa, but I couldn't because I'd get sued. So it would have to be like a fanfic. So yeah. I might even dabble in writing a fanfic for this because I f- I feel like Ryu is the type of character that deserves more than what he got from the end of this series and from that game in general. Like I thought Ninja Gaiden one and Ninja Gaiden two did such a good job of building this character up. Mm-hmm. I feel like he still has more story and there's more there that hasn't been tapped and it's not going to get tapped. I mean, that's my honest opinion. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I hope we come back in five years and we're still doing this and we're on a live recording and you can pull yeah. up audio from this and me have to sit there and listen and put my head down and shame. You would, you would gladly. I would, bro. I would, I would love to, yeah. I would love to get everybody in the comments of this video in five years and then be like, you're, you're an idiot. They made a new game. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. I'm an idiot. And you're, I'm fucking you're, pumped. So what you're saying is you want the Charles Barkley. I'm a dumbass. I'm a dumbass. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to be no, a dumbass. Yeah. I want to have to come back and say, you know what? I was wrong. And thank fuck you I want, was wrong. You want Team Ninja to say, Jeffrey, break out, break Luc- out Lucille. That's what I want more than anything. I want Team Ninja to hear this from, for whatever reason, Team Ninja to hear this and be like, Jeffrey, break out Lucille. <laughs> and just get after it. I would love that. Yeah, as you guys were saying, with seeing Ninja Gaiden again, I do think there's the possibility because definitely them throwing a 2005 Xbox original game on Game Pass means something. It it means something at some point. It's a cheap thing for them to do to throw out there. It costs almost zero money for the most part outside of the upscaling, you know, and some software tweaks. But it's something to, hey, let's just dip the toe in the water. Let's see. So I don't think the door's closed on that. But at the same time, if we're talking, you know, experiences that are similar to Ninja Gaiden, especially OG Ninja Gaiden, we're seeing that gap kind of be filled and that hole kind of be, you know, closed up by indie studios. I mean, look at The Messenger. Messenger fills that classic, hard, difficulty spiking, challenging platformer action adventure in a 2D spectrum of akin to older Ninja Gaiden games. But we're seeing that fix come in a lot of different ways. But I don't think the door's closed on it. It'll be interesting to see in the next five years because, you know, as we all kind of agreed, there's, with a new console coming up, there's definitely, in the way Microsoft especially, is being more game studios. Now we're seeing PlayStation be more active, saying, hey, we want to, we're looking at tying up a couple of extra first-party studios. People are wanting to spend the money because they see the rewards that they get out of having exclusives and things like that that all these companies need more exclusives they need more titles to come out especially on these new consoles that are going to be coming in the short term so i wouldn't throw it out but i i kind of 
I kind of side with Mike a little bit that I don't necessarily see it, but at the same time, I'm kind of with Adam in a way of never say never. You never know. I, 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 it still holds some value because we wouldn't see experiences like The Messenger. We Very almost, I don't want to say carbon copy, but it's very, you get the vibes. You're, mm-hmm. you're playing Ninja Gaiden. And same with the original Ninja Gaiden coming to the Switch on the NES online. You know, there's still that people still want those experiences. So it still was available. But I hope. Yeah. I hope you're right. Fingers crossed. Both of you. I hope you guys are right. Yeah. So moving in, we're going to do a new segment to cap it off here before we get into cash it, pass it, acid. And this is a degenerate gambler. Yeah. (laughs) This this is akin because Mike is a degenerate gambler. Um, (laughs) We're going to go into what I like to call the GameCast Casino. Just kind of break it down. It's a new segment, which kind of plays like blackjack a little bit. So I'm going to throw out a statement with a variable. I want you guys to either stay or hit it. Kind of like in blackjack. It's a variable that, do you think it's more? Or do you think it's right around there? And whoever's the closest to that at the end of the day is going to get a point. Got five questions. So we got one winner. Somehow, someway, this ends up being a fucking tie. If you're both right on the money... We'll figure it out. We'll do one to take all on one question. Okay. All right. So, I'm going to start it out. All right. Who's going first, though? Strategery. Hmm. Who's going to answer Coin first? Coin toss? Rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, rock, paper, scissors. Okay. All right. Game one. How fa- Do you go fast? No. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. All right. All right. Mike, one up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, let him go first. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Wait, No. I'm here. Let me clarify. We both answer. Yes, we're both going to answer these questions. I'm going to give it to you up front, and I want you guys to say hit, hit. You know what I mean? I'll like, let him go first. I want to see what he does first. Okay. Okay. All right. Question one: Ninja Guide, the 2004 release, because Black was their sales numbers were not available in 2019 <laughs> to pull up, but Ninja Gaiden sold half a million units. Do you think? I'm gonna hit on that. Okay, so let's do hit for what? I'm gonna hit for double the value. I think it sold at least a million. Okay, you want to stay at a million? All right, Mike, turn to you. And just for clarification, you're talking about all time since 05. Uh, that was currently available on, I believe it's VG Sales or something. It's the only site that offers. So this is technically up until now. Okay, so you gave me five hundred thou. Mm-hmm. You want to hit? You're gonna hit. What do you want to hit to? Adam wants to double that. Let's go to eight hundred fifty thousand. Eight hundred fifty thousand total. Yeah. All right. Correct answer is one point two million. Ooh. Adam thought that one. So Adam was up. Nice. I was right? actually worried because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go up to at least a million, and they're like. I didn't think I wanted to stay there exactly. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't go any further. Yeah. All right. So Adam won that one. He's Good gonna, job. He's going to take it back again. So, Adam, going to you again. Ninja Gaiden, Ninja Gaiden Black clocks in at a 75 meta score currently. Do you want to hit or stay? And what do you want to hit to if you do? I'm going to stay there at 75. Stay at 75. Okay. I think it's a bit controversial. 92. So you're hitting. Going to 92. 92. The current Metacritic Metacritic score for Ninja Gaiden Black is ninety four. Woo! Wow, close, man. <laughs> way off. When you said nice, I was like, holy shit! <laughs> Did you just check that? Um, 
So, 1-1 one, one right now, going into it. Question three. Mike, we're going to go to you now since you won that one. There are four categories of enemies in Ninja Gaiden Black. Now, this includes subcategories. This includes all any category you could put an enemy in. Do you want to hit? And where do you want to hit? Or do you want to stay at four? You gave me four? Yes. I'm going to hit. Okay, what do you want to go to? Do the bosses count? Probably like, do they count yeah. as like bosses? Uh, no, no, it's all it's all infused. To... Like, like the little, like the minions. Yes. Uh, there's seven, probably. I would say seven. Want to go to seven? I'm gonna say there's at least eight. Go to eight. So both hit it. There are nine categories. <laughs> You oh, fucking oh. price is right in what me, you the, bitch. What was the last bet, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> Add one dollar there. <laughs> you fucking price is right in me, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Adam takes the lead back again there with a score of two to one right now. Question four. Got two questions left. Question four. There are five different weapons Ryu can wield in Ninja Gaiden Black. Adam, we're going to you first. Is this count? This is only handhelds? Because there's projectile weapons, too. Yes, that does include projectiles. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for the clarification, Bob. So, Adam, we're going with you first. I'm going to say... It's got to be more than five, right? It's like a dozen. I'm going to say 12. What was the... What was the previous bet, Drew? It was 12. Add one to that. He's going 13. He's pricing right now. Actually, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> to be serious, I'm counting. So since Adam already answered, I'm gonna an I'm gonna tell you every single weapon there is, so that way I get an accurate count. There's a dragon sword. You get the lunar. You get the nunchuck. You get the Vigorian flail. You get the uh, uh, the wooden sword. That's five. I think there's one more handheld that's eluding me that I cannot think about. Yeah, the fiend hammer would count, so that's six. Then we're gonna go with, and then we're gonna start with projectiles. And you said twelve. So there's a bow, there's a shuriken, there's a windmill shuriken, there's incendiary shuriken, there's the smoke bomb. That's eleven. What else is there? Projectile, projectile, projectile. Shit. There might be twelve right on the fucking number. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna go 11. You're going 11. Mm. <laughs> I, I gotta get a final answer. Uh, the gracious with time. 12, final answer. I think there's 12 right on the nuts. What'd you say? I said 12. So you guys are both saying 12. I think there's 12 yeah. right on the nuts. There is. 13. Fuck, I was right. Was the one you were missing. The devil, yeah, the devil arrow. So Shit. nobody gets the points. Shit. I was right with 13. All right. So we're going in to the final question now. With... We're going to have a tiebreaker. So We may. We get may. ready for another question. We though. may. Adam leads two to one right now. I can count. Thanks. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> question five. When you face the final boss in the final chapter of the game, he has three attacks. I'm 
What did he bid? Six. He bid six, Drew? Add one more to that. That's your final one? That's my final answer. He's probably right on the money, but I don't have the... Uh, I can't afford to split it. Gentlemen, this has been a fair and honest game. Will we be going on? No, we won't, because Adam hit it with six right on the dot. Nice. Adam takes home the championship. There was six right on the dot. I thought so. So, Adam's our winner this week. What did you, you guys think of that? That was, that was fun. A fun. Like that that was fun. I'm really bummed out that I missed the one before because I missed the Dabalajero and I missed the cores and the explosive errors. I should have known them because they're they're super important for the speed yeah. run. So, yeah. come on, man. Yeah, I the fucked fuck? up. I fucked up. Anyways, and I couldn't afford to tie him this last round because then what would have happened? He would have won two one anyway. Exactly. So he wins three one. Good for him. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Doesn't uh, matter. I'll, I'll, I'll hey, quote Dom Toretto. Doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. There you so go. So if you lose by, if you lose by one, it's a loss. If you lose by two, it's a loss. You're actually taking this loss very well. Yeah. As my prize, uh, Mike has to give his speed running tips that he promised at the end of this episode. All right. Okay. Uh, that could be All part right. of it. There we matter. go. There we go. All right. So heading into the final section of the game cast this week, doing cash it, pass it, ass it. I think this one will be a little decisive. I'll fucking fight you. <laughs> I think this one will be a little decisive. I'm telling you right now, bitch, I'll fight you. Divisive. <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to fight you. It's late. It's We're fine. I'm going to fight you. All right. All right. I know you will. <laughs> you probably will. Let's start with you, Anyways. Travis. All right. If you ask me if I want to cash it, pass it, or ass it, I definitely don't want to ass it. Okay. I don't want to ask. Okay. No, because this is this is a good game. I, I truly believe this is a well-crafted game that is very meticulous with what it wants you to do and i can respect the hell out of that this is a game that you give people who truly do like challenges they want to tackle challenging things they want to work on their skill sets they want to actually commit to learning the skills of the game and getting better kind of like your cuphead kind of like your dark souls where you study patterns that bosses have and the way enemy moves and know when to exactly dodge at one point to get it's very timed it's very skill based um, but it's all it's all fair at the end of the day. Um, so it is not a bad game by any means. Obviously, if it got a 94 Metacritic, it is reviewed very well. I do not want to ask it. From my perspective, for the type of gamer that I am, I would definitely pass it. Okay. Just because I am all for difficult games, I personally don't think... Overall, I could see myself committing to this game. Now, granted, I may go back and finally play through and beat it on Ninja Dog just to have the experience done. I know how the game ends. I know what happens just from watching you guys play it before, watching you speedrun it, Mike. Um, you know, I might speedrun it tonight. There you go. Um, you know, so I've, I definitely, I would definitely pass it though because it all depends on perspective of what i have at the time but it wouldn't be something i run out to buy or okay. go try to find man i really want to find a hard copy of this That's game or something like that but it definitely i it, you have game pass and you're interested in at least a little bit by all means you pass it you download it try it out for yourself because you know you're not going to waste you're not going to be wasting time or anything doing this um adam let's spin it to you okay i want to preface this statement by saying i hear you out there Mike and I have been cashing every game. <laughs> I even changed my mind from a pass to a cash in the first episode. 
And you're like, all right, come on. What's the point Travis of this segment? Spit his shit out everywhere. <laughs> what's the point of this segment if you're just gonna tell me to buy every game? Listen, it's the first couple episodes. Of course, we're gonna talk about shit we like. Oh, eventually, yes. eventually, I will pass a game. Maybe even asset. Travis has just passed the game. I don't know if he's done that yet. No, I've cashed all of them so far. So just be patient. We'll get some more variety in here after we get through like the top priority games that we our favorites because Oblivion's coming too, and that one's a cash yeah, all the way around. Yeah, and that's that'll be saved for quite a while because that's going to be a multi-part episode. But anyways, continue. with that being said, I'm going to cash it this episode. How about you, Mike? It all comes down to this, doesn't it? <laughs> Look at him acting like he's not gonna... I'm assing this game. You're assing Do you want to know why I'm assing this game? Because why? you're an ass. No kappa. Because you guys are fucking pussies and you don't want to play this game. Wow. I'm calling out our viewers. It's too hard. Ask the game because you don't want to... It's 2019. Ask this. A challenge has been issued. I'm telling you right now, anybody out there listening to this game, or anybody out there listening to this podcast... I'm telling you to ask this game because I'm guaranteeing you, you cannot beat it on normal difficulty and under, I'll give you 16 hours of playtime in game time. You cannot beat it in under 16 hours. Your first playthrough. This is, this is what they call reverse psychology. That's an ass. <laughs> ask this game because you don't want to take my challenge up. You don't want to take me up on the challenge. You don't want to play through it. Okay. So now that heel Hulk Hogan is out of the way, do you truly want to ask this game? Do you just want me to... We can cut that, and I can just cash it. No, no I'll... I'll good bit. Uh, obviously, I speedrun this game. I still have my original Xbox original copy, which is what I use to play it, which I might actually digitally download it because it still has to load off the disc for my speedruns. I might download it digitally to see if the loading screens are faster. It might save me some time in my speedruns. So I cash it. Like, this is a game... It's a... It's an original Xbox game in a beautiful original Xbox case with an only Xbox stamp on the top, or only on Xbox stamp on the top that you can only get from the original Xbox games. It's a beautiful game to have. If you're a collector, this is one you want to have. If you're a collector like Travis, you want to own this game in hard copy and you want to have it. This is a cash. Shocker. I'm actually blown away. It's like the gif of the kid doing the like fake seizure, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm completely blown away that that was a cash. Um, but yeah, my first pass, I, I definitely, it, like you said, I couldn't, we're going to have, or like Adam said, we're going to have these first couple games that we're going to talk about stuff we like right off the bat. So you get the viewer, or I guess I should say listener, get a good idea of the perspective and the interests and things that we have so that you can take what we're saying you know, I don't want to say with a grain of salt, but with the proper lens. Sure. And so you know what you're coming into with us and our perspective. So, guys, this was a pleasure. And this GameCast Casino bit you added, that you was like fucking that? awesome. You like that? You that like was that? so much fun. Right, do we, are we authorized to come up with our own segments and make? Bio- I loved it. Bio- I loved games? it. Right. The GameCast Casino was great. Yeah, I'm gonna. That I think that's gonna be a new sticking point. Um, I'm excited about that one. I almost accidentally right before I sent out. Uh, here's some inside baseball for our listeners. Before I sent out our run of show, just kind of outlining the ideas that I had, so everyone didn't come in blind, and we kind of have you know a format, and we're not just rambling kind of like I'm doing now um, for, you know, 10 hours. Um, I had it listed in there. 
I almost accidentally left all the questions and answers <laughs> in there. <laughs> like, so I almost left that all in there. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something. I'm glad. I'm really glad that went over good, and you guys like that. Um, so yeah, that may be a sticking point uh, moving forward. But with that being said, that's going to be our episode for this week, guys. Where can everyone find you? Adam, kick it off. Where can people find you, man? You can find me on Twitter at AC underscore Marshy. That's AC underscore M-A-R-S-H-Y on Twitter. And Mike, of course, where can people find you? Uh, find me on that Bluebird app at uh, Toy at toy Soldier. The second O is an X. So T-O-Y-S-X-L-D-I-E-R. Uh, on Xbox at LL Toy Soldier LL. If you're mixing up in Halo matchmaking, you'll run into me. And uh, you can also find me on Twitch at MP underscore Toy Soldier. I am working on some strategies in my fighting in this game for the speed run. And uh, we're going to get it under two hours and, and hopefully under an hour and a half. And I hope you guys are there to hang Just don't out. Don't let Travis back into the, into the stream chat. Yeah, I'm going to ban his ass. Absolutely not. You don't want to let me in. <laughs> As always, I am your host, Travis White, a.k.a. Travis on most internet platforms. You can find me on Twitter at Travis underscore T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore. Uh, same place on Twitch. I stream every now and then on there. I need to do that more consistently again. Um, that's twitch.tv slash Travelus underscore. And of course, you can find me on Xbox Live at Travelus no underscore. One day we will get that all away and it'll all just be Travelus. Like I said, there's a $20, crisp $20 bill. Like when grandpa hands you the handshake and that 20's in there, man. <laughs> that's for the two people who have just regular Travelus out there on those two platforms. I just fucking want it. So there's a crisp 20 Maybe even like a pat on the back too, you know, if you want to give me those. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day and game on. All right, Mike, since Adam won, his sticking point was he wants you to give us some of that sweet, nasty secret sauce on how to beat the first two bosses in Ninja Gaiden Black. So why don't Mr. Uh, Speedrun Extraordinaire, let's hear it. Get, tell us the secrets. All right. So for Mirai, uh, he's a little vulnerable. There's a cup. There's a little cheese you can do. Um, basically, what you want to do is you want to put you want to position Ryu within kind of like kind of close to striking distance with him, and then quickly maneuver your way out of striking distance. And he'll either do a little roll where he does like a front heel handspring towards you, or he'll charge up a little attack and charge at you. After he does his roll or his little charge. He'll miss you because you've moved out of range, but he'll get close enough to you that you can use a little combo. You hit X, Y, so you'll slash him and use Y to go up in the air. And as soon as you land on the ground, you start holding in Y for just a split second to charge an ultimate dash, and you use that. And um, so you'll hit him with the X, Y, and when you land, you charge up your Y and then slice through him. And then as soon as you slice through him, use the left trigger to roll out of his attack range again, and he'll just do the same thing over and over again. And he's just going to sit there and stay in that loop where he's going to roll towards you or attack towards you, and you do the X, Y, land, hold, and Y, and slash him. Sometimes he'll uh, Mirai will actually get into this point where he won't come where he wants you to come. That's part of the RNG uh, that's part of the RNG with the speed run is sometimes the bosses don't do what you want them to do. So sometimes you'll have to move in, attack him while he's blocking and then run away again. And he'll get back into that loop. The second boss, Masakado, 
the best thing for you to do is buy the Art of the Nim- or Art of the Inferno off of the shopkeep and make sure you're full up on arrows before you fight him because he's he gets a ton of damage dealt to him with arrows. So you just hold in the B button and you don't even have to aim the arrow as long as he's close to you and Ryu will prioritize the closest target. So make sure that the other enemies aren't close to you and Masakata is close to you and you can spray him with arrows. You can use the Art of the Inferno to shoot a fireball at him. That does pretty good damage. And when you kill his little minions, position yourself up against uh, either wall or the ends of the bridge and uh, use the ultimate technique, charge up the ultimate technique, and when he comes at you, unleash it, and you'll do a ton of damage to him. Um, I have a ton of other secrets to beat uh, different enemies in the games. Uh, if you guys want to know those, tweet at me, message me on uh, Xbox, and I'll share them with you.